The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Support for this show comes from Monroe Products dedicated to helping people develop their full potential with its extraordinary HemiSync brainwave entertainment technology for balancing and focusing the brain. Learn more at HemiSync.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today is Carol Pearson. Carol is an educator, past president of the Pacifica Graduate Institute and the Center for Archetypal Studies and Applications, and she's the author of several books, including The Hero Within, Awakening the Heroes Within, and The Hero and the Outlaw. Her newest book, Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within, is reviewed in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Carol Pearson, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you. Your interests and mine overlap, and I'm very excited about hearing you enlighten us about archetypes and how they work in our lives. It seems to me, Carol, that your work builds on that of Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell, Marie-Louise von Franz, and other people who reveal the power of archetypes in our psychological lives, personal growth, you also bring it into business. Before we get into either of those, I think it'll be a help to everyone if you can give us a brief introduction to archetypes, what they are and where they come from. Well, what Jung said about archetypes, and of course he coined the term, was that they are patterns that recur in, they're patterns that can be any kind of patterns, but we're talking here about human behavior patterns and thinking patterns that recur in all times and all places, leading us to believe that they're innate somehow in human beings. And he mainly said that's because they exist in the unconscious, but he also considered that it might also be in our DNA in some way, that they're so present everywhere. He would find patterns, for example, in his patient's dreams that he had encountered an esoteric spiritual text from places they never would have experienced, and that's an example of it. My own work in archetypes takes that idea and applies that to everyday life, and to and I use terms that help people do that. For example, you can think about the fact that we've had warriors in some way in every culture, 
and there's a warrior within us. And that doesn't mean a soldier or somebody who kills somebody, but that has many of the qualities that living a warrior story would produce in us. Similarly, a caregiver or a sage we would find in every culture, and we also could find in ourselves. Do they differ from culture to culture, or they share the same basic content? Both, actually. Think about the sage, for example, as one where a sage is about wisdom, about knowledge, about enlightenment, but in different cultures. For example, in many Asian cultures, the sage tends to historically become more spiritual and more focused, say, on the kind of wisdom you get when you meditate and your thoughts go away and something deeper trickles up. In the West, our tradition has been much more about those thoughts and the wisdom that comes from uh, rationality, logic, thinking. But they're both about the same thing, which is the human desire to know. So the style is different, and the emphasis can be different, but the basic structure is the same. And what drew you to archetypes in the first place? Is it your desire to know? Well, I was in graduate school, and I was reading Jung and Campbell, and I just felt suddenly at home. It was like they were saying things that I already knew. Maybe because they're archetypal and we all know, but I felt it personally. And that's and you've made a career out of it, both in the world of personal development, but also in the world of business. And I want to talk to you just a little bit about that before we get to the new book. You have a book called The Hero and the Outlaw, Building Extraordinary Brands Through the Power of Archetypes. And I found the book, I'd read it before, I found the book really interesting. And in the book you say, today the brand is a repository not merely of functional characteristics, but of meaning and value. And I'm wondering if, if, and this will sound a little odd, but I'm wondering if you think in some way brands are taking the place of gods and heroes and heroines. Oh my. (laughs) Well, they certainly are important. And the difficulty with brands, as they are often done, is they're just image. And they're very much like if you or I were walking around being a phony all the time and just saying, this is what I am and it's not true. If brands are authentic in the sense that they reflect the true story of the product or the organization, the values that they actually live, then in fact, It's not that the brand is replacing gods and goddesses. The brand is reflecting the gods and goddesses. And when it's done best, the company or the organization or the group or the individual is really being called and can be called, develop in themselves and promote in other people the best quality of that archetypal energy. And if you can also understand that archetypal energy, you can realize it has negative temptations in it and to avoid the negative expressions of it and what you do. Can you give us an example of a brand and its archetype? Apple is revolutionary, for example. Nike is the warrior as athlete. Hallmark cards, actually, their mission statement is to help people say, I love you. I think people have to, we have to make a distinction between brand and logo. Logo is just the actual graphic image. We're talking about the story that the product is presenting to potential customers and consumers, and that story resonates with our own, or that the archetype behind that story, or that the story embodies, resonates with our quest to know or quest to experience that archetype in our own life. Right, to have that experience. And it works, you know, it works for companies that also live it, so that our experience with them is an experience with the archetype. So what's happening with me when I'm attracted to a product like 
Apple or something, is that I'm buying into the story, triggering the archetype, and then they've got me on some subconscious level, and I can't escape. How close am I with that? A lot of my work is about narrative intelligence, archetypal narrative intelligence, which is not only not as uh, that we can escape because we can know it's going on, and if we if we know it's going on, we're not trapped unconsciously. And that's not just about what advertising is telling us. It's about what our own minds are telling us and what our family of origin told us, the stories they told us, and that the culture, the values in the, in the stories, the culture is telling us that we can know what archetype uh, and at kind of what level of positive or negative of that archetype it is. So that gives us, that makes us free to make a new choice. So knowing my archetype, if each person knows the dominant archetype in her or his life, that will help them both cultivate the best part of that archetype and free themselves from the worst part of that archetype. Absolutely. So I'm curious or actually intrigued is maybe a better word from what you said a second ago about the information we get from our families of origin. So I'm about to be a grandfather and I'm thinking all the stories that I told my son as he was growing up and the stories that he and my daughter-in-law will tell their son and the stories that my wife and I will tell him. And I'm wondering if people who are parents, grandparents, need to uh, do an archetypal uh, investigation into the stories they tell to find out if, if they're setting the child up for doom or for success. Absolutely. I was actually talking to a friend last night who came to one of my book signings, and he told stories about sitting under a blanket with his grandson and very consciously telling him stories that he thought would be empowering for his life. Very interesting. So we could do this on a conscious level, and I guess you would warn us also to check the stories we're already telling unconsciously to see if they're healthy or not. Yeah, and and of course the biggest stories are the ones we're living, because that's what they really pay attention to. So let's switch gears a little bit. I mean, it's in the same vein, but I want to talk a little bit about your newest book, Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within. Before we go to the book exactly, I want to tie it to this little blog post you had about Barbie. What's the archetype that Barbie is representing? And then how did you connect it to the Egyptian goddess uh, Newt? And then use that to get us into Persephone Rising. Oh, dear. Well, the point I was actually making is that the woman whose name I forget at Mattel who created Barbie had the best intentions of having it be uh, a way for young girls to imagine their future life. Um, And it was a dream of imagining. And and Persephone rising, um, she's abducted to the underworld. And there she imagines what she really wants. And she takes action to get what she really wants and kind of exploding categories. And um, my point was that Mattel has been abducted by very stereotyped thinking about girls and making Barbie a lot about boys and clothes and very, was, very conventional things. Ruth Handler. Who created, yes, that's who created right. Barbie. Thank you so I'm much. Saying, yeah. That's not her image and Mattel's image don't jive. Yeah, and now with declining Barbie sales, some of which is also just about the elongated shape, which is being seen as encouraging anorexia, basically, because no little girl or adult looks like that. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, 
a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. They're not doing anything about that problem yet, although I hope they will. But they are um, all of a sudden making Barbie, imagining Barbie, as about girls imagining all the real possibilities of what they could be, and some of them extremely liberated. But having said that, I also recognize that that elongated shape was familiar to me. It's There's uh, the goddess Nut in Egyptian mythology is a sky goddess and she's quite elongated and she kind of hovers over us all taking care of us and she gives birth to the sun every day. So um, the comment was that there might have been in the origin of Barbie something very different than the impact that it's had. So how does somebody, or in this case a company, hijack an archetype? They took what Handler had in mind and, and turned it into something else. That... Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, absolutely they did. And um, they turned it, they, they really turned it into something that was just a stereotype of what little girls would like, um, and that increasingly they don't like, and their mothers like even less. Mm. Which is very different than the heroine within. So let's, right. let's make that shift. How, how okay. are little, how, how are we gonna, I mean, cause you're writing to adults to find the heroine within, but, just, I, I imagine that those adults who can do that will then, if they have daughters or granddaughters, help them find that, that archetype within them, that hero, heroine within them. Absolutely. And the book is around four major archetypal Greek gods and goddesses, two of which are masculine, and I treat them as the masculine side of a woman, and two of which are feminine which I treat as the feminine side of a woman, and by that I don't mean anything biological. I mean with the legacies that we carry for thousands of years of what men and women have been doing. One of the concerns that I've had is that liberation for women has been defined often by companies for in terms of what they want, and but also by the movement itself as moving into male uh, roles, which I support but also being kind of identified liberation is acting pretty much like guys. Well, I think there are many qualities that men have that we should develop in ourselves and are very good. What's happening is a continued devaluation of values that have been female, one of which is caring for one another and having time to care for our children, caring for the earth, loving one another, and that's getting devalued in the society and crowded out with workplaces that are very driven and expect 24 hours a day productivity and focus. And I'm making the, the argument in the book that we need women to, and men actually, uh, the book is not just for women, to also keep alive many of the qualities that women uh, have, have kept alive in their sort of um, complementary roles to, to men, and at the same time to connect with Persephone, who, even though she's an ancient goddess, reflects the drive that uh, men and women are having, but more women today, to be true to finding some deeper self and uh, having a, a more of a spiritual grounding 
that is not based on dogma and it's not based on rules, but based on finding something very, very basic in the self. And if they do that, is your hope that they can, just sort of by living that archetype, that they can counteract the dismissal of the values of that archetype that we find in the workplace or society at large? Yes. If uh, Part of it is just to recognize how desperately it is needed. And in, in the mythic story that I talk about, Demeter, who is the, the, the earth mother and the mother, creates a famine to get Zeus's attention, and Zeus is the sky god, very patriarchal actually, to get her daughter back who's been abducted to the underworld. And we can think about the fact that we have a famine going on now. We have we have climate change. We have an economic problems that are really due to the fact that money is trickling up and resources, and there are too many people that are poor. Um, they have a famine of resources. Um, we also have an epidemic of depression, which is a famine of energy and hope um, in our society. And that if I think women and the men who partner with them and who care about them in any part of their lives can get it how desperately we need some of these qualities that, that women have carried over the centuries, they will have more confidence to speak out of both the positive masculine qualities and the positive feminine qualities without having to put down either. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. And I, I want to switch gears a little bit and, and, and talk on a little broader scale because your work, like lots of people who work with archetypes, you work a lot with long dead gods and goddesses. <laughs> and I wonder if this is what happens to gods when they die. I mean, do they get reduced from the supernatural to the psychological or, you know, they become archetypes but when once they were, you know, living, breathing uh, you know, at least in the imagination of people, you know, uh, actual entities. And what, what's your sense? Are gods anything other than psychological projections, or are they real supernatural beings who die and then become, you know, archetypes? Well, these particular archetypes are very human. I mean, they're, you know, I, <laughs> they all have problems. <laughs> um, they're not like the images we have of gods and goddesses that hold hold a image of per- perfection or something for us to completely aspire to. Um, the, the particular four we're talking about um, each start out living a story that isn't working for them, and then they have to grow and learn, and they change their story, and they live differently, and they learn, and they fight with each other, and then they develop some more, and they can get along. And part of the getting along in the, in the story, which was the basis of the biggest and most honored initiation rite in ancient Greece was a change in the relationship of the gods, which is from seeing them as totally out there and they can make us do things and they're very powerful and we're merely human and to walking among us and being our friends. And so there was the beginning of that change in ancient times and where people were beginning to see themselves as emulating the better part of those gods and goddesses and sometimes laughing at the silly stories they had about them. Yeah, it seems like what you're describing is maybe something we actually can see in contemporary religion that someday, you know, Christ and Krishna and Allah and Yahweh will, you know, people will write books about, you know, reawakening your inner Yahweh or something <laughs> as they become more more archetypally understood than than supernaturally. Yeah. 
So well, Matthew, I, yeah, Matthew yeah, Fox actually yeah. has redefined Jesus that way as a yeah. um, cosmic Christ and, and all that. As a cosmic Christ, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, we are just about uh, at the end of the show, but I have to ask you because tonight is uh, one of the Republican. Uh, presidential candidates for debates. And we have, you know, uh, two women, uh, Carly Fiorina and Hillary Clinton. Can you off right off the top of your head, tell us what archetype is against what archetype if the two of them were pitted against each other? Well, Fiorina is, is Zeus. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and Hillary is Zeus with Demeter. It's the ruler warrior versus the ruler caregiver. Ruler warrior, that's Carly, and ru- uh-huh. ruler caregiver, uh-huh. that's Hillary. Excellent. Uh-huh. Thank you for that. Okay. My guest today was Carol Pearson. Her newest book, Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within, is reviewed in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about Dr. Pearson's work at her website, carolpearson.com. Carol Pearson, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. Ah, so did I. Support for this show comes from Monroe Products, dedicated to helping people develop their full potential with its extraordinary hemi-sync brainwave entrainment technology for balancing and focusing the brain. Learn more at hemisync.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.